0: Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. Our scripture reading today is taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, the verses 18 through 29. Let us hear the word of God. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." This ends the reading of the holy word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts today. Dear friends, inclusion, along with diversity and equality, is a popular word nowadays. It's used repeatedly, to the point sometimes of being nauseous, by our uber-woke politicians, business leaders, community activists, and educational institutions, Everyone today, it seems, is talking about inclusion and being inclusive. Well, like the church at Pergamos, which we looked at last week, the church at Thyatira was very much into inclusion. So much so, in fact, that she even tolerated heresy within her ranks. But as we'll see, our Lord would have none of it. In response to their obsession with inclusion, the Lord rebuked this church sharply. It's not that our Lord is not inclusive. He most certainly is. During his earthly ministry, he ministered to every kind and class of people imaginable. Men and women and children, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, healthy and sick, even lepers. But unlike the church at Thyatira, he did so on his terms, not theirs. And he never overlooked sin or false teaching. Well, with this in mind and God's help, let's consider together the letter to the church at Thyatira. We do so under the theme, Christ's letter to an overly inclusive church. And we'll consider, first of all, the problem he identifies. Secondly, the solution he proposes. And thirdly, the encouragement he offers. As I've already mentioned, the letter before us was written to the church at Thyatira. Thyatira, known today as Ashkassar in modern-day Turkey, was located about 40 miles south of Pergamos. It was not a very important town, either politically, militarily, or culturally even. It was, however, an important manufacturing center. It produced various goods made of wool, linen, leather. And bronze. It was especially famous for the manufacture of a very expensive purple dye, which was used to dye the clothing of the nobility and other rich and powerful people. Interestingly, it was the hometown of Lydia, who was the first convert at Philippi in Macedonia and who was also a seller of this purple dye. Now, like most of the cities of Asia Minor at this time, Thyatira contained many temples to Greek and Roman gods and goddesses. The city was especially devoted to the Greek god Apollo tyrannos the sun god, and to Diana, the goddess of fertility. The city also promoted the worship of the emperor. It was here in this pagan, working-class, industrialized city that the church at Thyatira was located. Now, we don't know anything about this church except for what is revealed here in this letter. According to the testimony of Christ himself, this church, like all of the other churches in Asia, had some very commendable qualities. And he says as much in verse 19, he says, "'I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience.'" And from that, we deduce that this was not a dead church by any means. This church was alive and active, administered to those both within her, her ranks and without. And in that respect, it was a model for every other church to follow. What is more, Jesus says, their last works are more than the first. And The word more than can be translated as more in number or even better in quality. But however we translate it, the point is this church had not remained stagnant. It was maturing. It was growing. It was developing. Each year it did more works than the year before. And the Lord saw this, and he commended them for it. But also, like most of the other churches in Asia, this church had one serious flaw. And what was it? Well, she tolerated heresy. In verse 20, the Lord Jesus says this, You allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Evidently there was in Thyatira a woman who claimed to be a prophetess sent by God. Her name was Jezebel. Now you may remember that Jezebel was the wicked daughter of Athbaal, king of Sidon and the wife of the equally wicked and corrupt king Ahab. And she's known for trying to syncretize the worship of Baal with the worship of the God of Israel. Now, Some commentators question whether this woman's name was actually Jezebel or whether this is just a pseudonym, whether the Lord calls her this because Jezebel in the Old Testament promoted the same kind of religion and lifestyle as Jezebel, the wife of Ahab. whatever the case, she was a very wicked woman, and her teaching was equally wicked and was leading many astray. Well, what exactly did she teach? Well, to explain this, we need to understand something of the socioeconomic situation in Thyatira during the first century A.D. If you were a skilled worker living in Thyatira at that particular time in history, you had to be a member of a guild, A guild is something like our modern labor union. It consisted of people who worked in the same trade. So you had a guild for goldsmiths, a guild for silversmiths, a guild for leather workers, a a guild for bronze workers, and so on. The guild set standards for and regulated its own trade. Now each of these guilds had their own patron god or goddess, which the members of the guild were required to worship. And if they refused, they could not continue to be a member of the guild, which meant you could not ply your trade in the city. Now, do you see the problem? The problem was that the worship of these gods and goddesses involved attending feasts in their honor, which often involved acts of sexual immorality. And this is something that the Christians at Thyatira simply could not conscience. And so they found themselves in a classic catch-22 situation. If they worshipped the gods, they could maintain their membership in the guild and thus continue to earn a living. But if they didn't, they would remain loyal to Christ, but lose their livelihood. Now this is where Jezebel came in. Most commentators believe that like the the Nicolaitans, And the followers of Balaam, who are mentioned in the previous letter, Jezebel taught that it was possible to blend Christianity and paganism. In other words, she said you could be a follower of Christ and still participate in pagan feasts and worship. Now, as I mentioned last week, that kind of teaching is still sadly alive and well in the church today. It's a form of carnal Christian theology. According to this view, you can accept Jesus as your Savior, but not necessarily as your Lord. You can do that later, and in the meantime, you can still continue to live in sin. But this is utterly false. The truth is, you cannot separate Christ as Savior from Christ as Lord. If you accept him as your Savior, you must also accept him as your Lord. He can't be divided. There is no other way. But Jezebel and her followers said there was. They said, you can do both. You can serve Christ and the world at the same time. And many believed her. And they embraced her views. And it's not difficult to understand why. Because this would enable them to have the best of both worlds. And it would enable them to be loyal to Christ on the one hand and still make a living on the other. Now, what could be better than that? What's especially shocking about this is the fact that the church and the church leadership did nothing about it in fact not only did they do nothing about it they actually tolerated and even accepted this teaching now why they did so we don't know it's not revealed in the text maybe the leadership was afraid of splitting the church since Jezebel had many followers but it's more likely that they thought that they could win over their erring brethren by loving them by tolerating them by by including them Throughout the ages, many other churches have sadly done the same. In fact, this is precisely how some once faithful denominations became liberal. And in some cases, completely apostate. Because they tolerated false teaching. And they failed time and time again to take action against it. Until eventually this false teaching permeated every aspect of the church. But by then it was too late. This is what's happening in the church at Thyatira. What should the church have done? Well, they should have placed this woman and her followers under discipline. The Lord Jesus Christ has given his church two keys, the key of preaching and the key of discipline. And by means of these two keys, the kingdom of God is both open and shut. It's open to believers and it's shut to unbelievers. And when members of the church go astray, and they refuse to pay heed to the admonishments of the leaders of the church, they must be placed under discipline. And if that doesn't have the desired effect, they must be excommunicated from the church of Christ. If they're not, their teachings will spread like a cancer. And before anyone even realize what's happening, they will have influence an entire generation of gullible believers. Now, sadly, the church at Thyatira did not seem to understand this. They opted instead for toleration, acceptance, and inclusion. Now, needless to say, this was unacceptable to our Lord, and that brings us to our second point. It's striking to think that during the whole time that Jezebel was spreading her heresies, the Lord was seated on his throne in heaven, looking on, watching what is happening. Now, some might ask, well, why didn't he do something then? Why didn't he just put a stop to her? Why didn't he just strike her dead with a bolt of lightning? Why doesn't he do the same today to those who are distorting the truth of God's word in this church today? Well, the answer is because he is gracious. He was giving her time to repent. He says as much in verse 21. He says, I gave her time to repent. Now, as we learned last time, To repent means to do an about-face on sin. It means to go in the exact opposite direction to the direction you were going. It refers to a change of mind that results in a change of life. And that's why our Lord did not strike Jezebel and her followers dead right away, because he was giving them time to repent, time to change, time to turn around. And that's astounding. After all she said and all that she did, our Lord was still willing to have dealings with her. He was still willing to receive her to himself. But how did she respond? She refused. For we read in our text, and she did not repent. It's deeply concerning when the Lord gives people time to repent and they do not take advantage of it. There are still many people like that today. Perhaps you're one of them. You read the Word of God, you hear a sermon about a particular sin in your life, you hear that you need to repent, but you refuse. Why? Ultimately, because you love your sin more than you love God. And that was precisely the problem with Jezebel and her followers. She was given an opportunity to repent, but she refused. And so what did the Lord do? Well, he threatened to punish her. The Lord says, indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her. And he goes on to say, I will kill her children with death unless they repent of their deeds. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. We're reminded here that there is a limit to Christ's forbearance. Yes, he will be patient and long-suffering, but only to a point. Now, when that point comes, we don't know. Only God knows. But it will come. And when it does, there's no turning back. There's no second chance. We have one opportunity to repent, and that time is now. And that's why the scriptures say, today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your hearts. And so if you're living in unrepentant sin today, the message of the word of God and the message of our text is repent before it's too late. The point is, the Lord would come in judgment to Jezebel and her followers. And that helps us to understand why he introduces himself the way that he does. As we've seen in previous sermons in this series, in each letter, our Lord identifies himself in a unique way. In this particular letter, he introduces himself as the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Now notice each one of these statements. Jesus says he is the Son of God. Now, By means of that title, our Lord wants us to understand that he's no mere man. He's no ordinary human being. He is the Son of God. He is coequal, equal co-eternal, and co-essential with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we should take very, very seriously what he's about to say. Secondly, he says, he has eyes like a flame of fire. Now, This speaks of his his omniscience, that he knows all things. It speaks of his penetrating, perceptive, and piercing ability to see all that is. He sees all actions, all thoughts. He knows all emotions. Nothing escapes his notice, including the heresy of Jezebel and her followers. Thirdly, he says his feet are like fine brass. Brass signifies strength and splendor. Thyatira was famous for its bronze work, but their best work pales in comparison to that of the Son of God. He is brilliant in appearance, unrivaled in strength, and utterly glorious as a judge. And as we'll see in a moment, he will come as judge with his feet of brass to trample the enemies. Of his church. The point is, the Lord here threatens to come against the false teachers in this church with judgment unless they repent. Now, whether they did repent, we don't know. We hope so. But the fact that this church soon disappeared suggests that they did not. It appears the Lord made good on his threat, he cast Jezebel and her followers into a sickbed and killed her children with death. Now before we leave this point, I want you to notice the portrait of Jesus that's presented here. Most people today, including many professing Christians, think of Jesus as a warm, loving, compassionate figure who just loves everybody unconditionally and is always there to support, comfort, and encourage us no matter what. Now make no mistake, the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed warm and loving and compassionate and more besides. But he is also a holy judge. And as a holy judge, he is determined to exercise judgment on all those who defy him and live in rebellion against him and who will deny and distort the truth of the word of God. And the evidence for that is right here in our text. We don't have to go anywhere else. All we have to do is read this letter. and There we are confronted with the whole Christ. Yes, on the one hand, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and patient, but on the other hand, determined with holy determination to punish sin and to root it out of his church. So our Lord came to this church with a word of warning. Unless Jezebel and her followers repented, he would come against them, in judgment, But he also had a word of encouragement for his people. And we turn to that under our third and final point. Just as during the days of Elijah, there were 7,000 people in Israel who had not bent their knees to Baal. And so there were some in Thyatira who refused to be led astray by Jezebel and her false teachings. And our Lord acknowledges as much in verse 24. He mentions those who do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan now these people constituted the believing remnant in the church at Thyatira and to them our Lord comes with a word of encouragement notice what he says he says first of all I will put on you no other burden now many commentators believe that our Lord here is alluding to the decision of the council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. You may remember this council was called to settle the question whether the Gentiles had to be circumcised. And the council, after much debate and prayer and searching of the scriptures, decided no, they did not have to be circumcised. And they sent a letter to the Gentile churches informing them of this decision. And in the letter, they wrote that it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And they specified what they were, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. And so Jesus here is affirming that decision. He's saying, I will not ask you to do anything other than what I, through the council of Jerusalem, have already asked you to do. In other words, he assures them that he's no harsh taskmaster, making demands that he knows they cannot keep. Instead, he simply asks them to observe what he has commanded them, that and no more. What is more, he commands them to hold fast to what they have. This is probably a reference to their works, their love, their faith, and their service mentioned in verse 19. Our Lord is saying to them, don't listen to anyone, including Jezebel, who says that you need to do more than what you're already doing. Just keep doing what you have been doing. That's all I require of you. And to all such, our Lord makes two great and wonderful promises. First of all, in verse 26, he says, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Now that's astounding. Christ honors his faithful disciples by allowing them to reign with him over the nations of this world. Imagine that. Imagine you and me reigning with Christ over all the nations of the earth. It's incredible. But that's what will happen. In fact, to substantiate that promise, our Lord quotes from Psalm 2, verse 7. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels. Now, these words were originally ascribed to the lord jesus christ he is the one who as the king of kings and the lord of lords would rule the nations with a rod of iron and dash his enemies to pieces like a potter's vessel or like a clay pot but now he says he will do this with his people they will reign with him on his throne to all eternity ruling over the nations of the earth secondly in verse 28 he says and i will give him the morning star Now, John, Jesus rather, interprets the meaning of this promise in Revelation 22, verse 16. There he declares this. He says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So the morning star is Christ himself. Now, why does Jesus describe himself as the bright and morning star? Well, he does that for a reason. The morning star is commonly ascribed to the planet Venus, which appears in the east before the sunrise. And as such, it's a fitting image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Puritan commentator Matthew Henry says that just as the morning star appears in the east before the sunrise, so the Lord Jesus Christ, and I quote, excels all other stars in glory, and scatters the darkness of ignorance and error by the light of his gospel. The point is, to those who overcome, Christ will give the greatest reward we can ever imagine. He will give himself. More specifically, he will give a sense of his presence, his protection, and his favor. He promises here to be with us and to enable us to persevere until the very end. And as we are united to this morning star, we will shed his light in this dark and sinful world. In 2 Peter 1 verse 19, Peter writes, You do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. As the day or the morning star arises in our hearts, we will reflect His light to the world around us, a world that is steeped in the darkness of sin. And isn't that precisely what our Lord wants us to do? Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Believers, like Christ, are like stars that shine in the midst of darkness. And as they are united to him, they will continue to shine, and they will continue until he comes again. Then the light of Christ and his people will shine with a glory that we can scarcely comprehend today. And then it will be fulfilled what Daniel writes in chapter 12, verse 3 of his prophecy. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Well, this then is Christ's letter to an overly inclusive church. Inclusion can be a good thing, but never, ever at the expense of truth. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to us and to all the churches still today. Amen. Dear friends, it's a great joy to be able to preach to you the Word of God every Sunday on this station. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Would you not just take a few moments and write us a short note? Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. And please indicate the call letters of this station. If you take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you, free of charge, a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers, which explains the so-called doctrines of grace. We hope it may be a rich blessing to you, and your family support for this program is provided by the free reform churches of north america for more information about our churches including where you can find a church nearest you please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org thank you for listening and now until next week may the lord be with you all